This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Heartland's Tuesday Daily Podcast. I'm Sterling Burnett, Director of the Arthur B. Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy and Managing Editor of Environment and Climate News. Because of the wide-ranging nature of my education, areas of interest, expertise, and past areas of research, sometimes I get to expand my podcast beyond the already broad topic of environment, energy, and climate. This is one of those fortunate times for me. A couple of months ago, I interviewed noted legal scholar Dr. Stephen Halbrook discussing the origins and importance and current legal standing of the Second Amendment's guarantee of the right to keep and bear arms. Today, I'm pleased to have another guest addressing the importance of that right, in this case in particular to minority communities and the broader range of pro-freedom topics he addresses. Looking at his impressive resume, one might thank Kevin McGarry as a one might think of him as a serial entrepreneur promoting liberty, markets, and equality before the law and economic progress for the African-American community. Kevin is the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California and the president of Every Black Life Matters, which, as you will see, is not to be confused with what we've come to discover is the corrupt Black Lives Matter organization. Kevin came to my attention for his response to Joe Biden's recent gross politicization of the horrific school shooting in my home state of Uvalde, Texas. Uh, Biden blamed guns for the tragedy and proclaimed that the Second Amendment, which he swore to uphold and defend as President of the United States, was not absolute. Kevin's reply, in short, was, that's bunk. Mr. President, sending out a press release with a top-line statement, quote, unhinged tyrant, unquote. The importance of the Second Amendment and other fundamental freedoms, including economic freedom to the black community, is what Kevin's here to discuss today. Kevin, thanks for being with us. Mr. Sterling, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Kevin, before we get started on our main topic, uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, the organizations you're involved with, and your work, please tell us a little bit more about your background, how you became involved in promoting pro-liberty economic and political agenda with your organizations. Yeah, so uh, really, I started. Uh, I started off about, I guess, thirty years ago now, as uh, a kind of roundabout became a more of a, uh, a logical sort of conservative thinker, non-ideological. I was born and raised in San Francisco, and uh, was raised a, a liberal progressive, and uh, got a degree in sociology. So you know, I'm steeped in liberal progressivism. I understand it completely. <laughs> And uh, and then later, when I got married, um, things just didn't make sense to me anymore. And I started to look at the, the various platforms and started to get more involved civically. And um, and so uh, I can say that my mindset has shifted considerably. I'm, I'm, I'm really not ideological in the sense that I'm, I'm rigid on one side or the other. I just want liberty, freedom, righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. And uh, as long as uh, individuals stand for those things, they'll get my vote. Um, but unfortunately, that means only one side these days where individuals can sort of come close to that criteria. So uh, with that, though, I, uh, I was asked to, to start the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. And so I started that uh, 12 years ago. 
and then from there uh, became an executive at the Douglas Leadership Institute. Obviously, what we're doing is we're leveraging uh, the Honorable Frederick Douglass's legacy to help, uh, in particular, communities of color and black communities especially, understand uh, Frederick Douglass, his legacy, so, sort of his uh, the kinds of things that he con- contemplated as he worked with President Abraham Lincoln on Emancipation Proclamation and some of those things. So we, we kind of fill in the gaps with history and we help people understand um, how Douglas was, you know, Republican and conservative and that kind of thing. We help people to try to be less ideological with their upbringing uh, as it relates to their civic engagement and uh, to be more principled uh, about what you stand for uh, fundamentally. Uh, but w- with that, then, um, we saw the carnage and the rage and the violence and the uh, looting and the uh, all that went on as sort of a response to George Floyd uh, two years ago, summer of 2020. And what was what was particularly troubling about that is uh, we had BLM, uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization standing with Antifa, uh, which are really, you know, young white kids from the suburbs coming to urban communities and literally burning black and brown businesses to the ground and just partying the whole time while they were doing it. And so um, that made my stomach churn. Uh, Of course, there's going to be a lot of different emotional response to what we saw for that nine minutes and 40 seconds. But the reality is, is why would you take it out on these, you know, mostly black and brown businesses? These yeah, are business the, owners who, you know, are already in tough the, shape. The, uh, the, you know, apparent hypocrisy of the claim that you're out there to help minority communities while you're destroying their livelihoods just never made any sense to me. Yeah, the irony was these folks are saying, hey, every, they were saying Black Lives Matter while they were taking black businesses and burn into the ground. This was preposterous. And then the other thing that we saw was that there were a number of, of, of people of faith and clergy out there encouraging Black Lives Matter to continue to do the looting and the rioting and all that they were doing, and they were joining them, uh, especially during the, you know, sort of the, the, the rioting, the more riotous parts. And we thought, well, for people of faith that, you know, should be, if you're going to do anything for these folks, these folks are obviously aggrieved. Uh, they're suffering, um, you know, because of what they saw. Uh, what you can at least do is, is, you know, help offer, you know, pray for them that they would feel better about uh, going forward and, 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 and help them to sort of to resolve their conflict without the violence. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, is that a lot of these churches were out there with them. They were putting black, you know, Black Lives Matter paraphernalia on their front edifice and all of this. So, so what we decided was, okay. We understand. Everybody's emotional right now. When they get home, they're going to go to the BLM website. They're going to realize that BLM is, you know, is a Marxist organization. They're anti-God. They're anti-father. They're anti-nuclear family. Uh, they're anti-life in the sense that they're, you know, not pro-life. Uh, and, and, and they're going to, you know, want to um, support black life, but they're going to want an organization that's, uh, you know, that's righteous and faithful. And so we decided, okay, why don't we be that organization? So we started Every Black Life Matters. Now, uh, what that means is that it gives, when people come up in your face and they, you know, try to get you to bow, bark, salute, roll over, and all the other things they have you do by saying Black Lives Matter, you can stand up straight.
straight and firm and put your finger back in their face and say, look, to me and my family, every single black life matters. And then you can ask them the question. Now, does every single black life matter to you? Uh, That really sort of gets them tongue-tied because now you're saying, look, uh, I believe that every single black life matters. And that means from conception to natural death. And every phase of black life matters, not just an altercation between a, a white police officer and a, and a black person of color. And uh, so now it broadens the conversation. It helps your uh, potential person that would try to get you to, to do these things and salute to BLM. It get, you know, basically it shuts it down because you're saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the entirety, a holistic approach to the black community, not just this you know, this the police brutality angle that you have at Black Lives Matter. Now, um, so some of your listeners may be wondering, though, well, why is why did you have to go at all and say that black life, anything, because all lives matter and every life matters? That's exactly what we're saying. Um, think about every black life matters except put T-O-O at the end of it, too. What we mean by that is when Margaret Sanger decided uh, that she wanted to fully exterminate the Negro population, this is her exact quote, um, and Margaret Sanger, of course, is the founder of Planned Parenthood, she did not say we want, you know, we want to exterminate, you know, blacks and white kids or blacks and Asians or, or you know, any other ethnicities, Cubans or, or you know, Hispanics or anybody else. She said, we want to exterminate blacks. And so there has been a concerted, strategic, purposeful effort to exterminate the black population. And because of that, blacks represent a tremendously disproportional amount of abortions in America. And so for all your listeners that say all lives matter and every life matters, that what we're saying is, yes, exactly. All lives matter and every life. So let's stop targeting blacks. Let's stop this. What we're trying. This is a statement of equality, not a statement of superiority. And so every black life matters is we're just saying, hey, look, we're equal to. Can we at least be born at the same rate that every other ethnicity is? And so that that's where that comes from. That's sort of what we get into when we start to explain that. Um, you know, your journey from um, being born in San Francisco, of all places, and, and becoming uh, what what seems to be fairly conservative, uh, it reminds me of, uh, I believe, the statements attributed to Winston Churchill. I don't know the exact statement, but something like, uh, if, you, if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. If you're still a liberal when you're old, you have no brain. <laughs> So, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you've, exactly. uh, you've, you've, uh, you've traversed that. Uh, so, Kevin, what prompted you to respond to President Biden's recent pronouncement on the need for further gun control with the statement unhinged tyrant? Why, in, in, why historically has the right to keep and bear arms been especially important to the black community? Yeah, so the black community, a lot, a lot of people may not understand or may not fully appreciate what happened after the Civil War. So we had, we did have black soldiers, black black people on the uh, on our side, on the side of the Union, fighting in the Civil War and and trying to you know get free. 
And those that did were able to keep their firearms that they actually went to battle with. And uh, there was some effort to, to, to try to say, hey, you know, we should probably take the, the weapons from the black man. Uh, but, you know, the, the, uh, the general said, no, no, these, these, these men fought valiantly with us. And on the battlefield, no, they can keep their weapons and go home. And so, um, and so that, this is when, during Reconstruction, a lot of people think that the KKK actually started, uh, you know, before the Civil War even, and it was just part of the, the deal all the way around. And it wasn't. Uh, the KKK actually started during Reconstruction. Um, the Democrats started that because they wanted those weapons. They wanted to, to find, figure out a way, if we can get blacks disarmed, we can make them slaves again. I know we did this thing with the Civil War, but, you know, realistically, uh, you know, individually, we could, you know, sort of try to enslave as many blacks as we can and and uh, hopefully gain some traction that way. So the KKK not, not, not legal, only tried not, to prove it. Not legal enslavement, but de jure. I mean, de no, facto. De not, facto. Not, not legal. Yeah, de facto. Yeah, exactly. De facto. Exactly. And so what they were... And so what happened, however, is because a lot of these black, uh, old, old black, you know, folks that used to be slaves and worked on plantations were armed, um, you know, the KKK militia would come by and, uh, you know, these folks would be armed and say, get off my property, get off my front lawn, get it, you know. And and uh, they, you know, they'd wave their, their firearms around and, and the KKK would get the message, look, this is, this is a black home, a black family that we cannot mess with. So, so this is what kept blacks free. This is what actually is the spirit behind what keeps all Americans free. When you have a tyrannical edifice, whether it's a government, whether it's uh, enemies of the state that come in, uh, or, or any other faction that, that is a threat to you and your family and your property, uh, fundamental about your property is yourself. I mean, the, you know, property is not just an inanimate Our object. The property could be you know, us individually. And so uh, in order to protect our property, um, you know, firearms is essential. This is one of those things. It's a natural right. It's a right given to us uh, for self-preservation by God. And it is, it, it's uh, irrevocable. So, you, you know, the, the, the thought and the, the whole premise about, well, you know, the Second Amendment was not guaranteed and, you know, it, it, it's not irrevocable. Yet, yes, it is. This is a fundamental right of all, all human beings, and we have the right to protect ourselves. Now, um, what's particularly insidious about uh, Mr. Biden and his assertions about the Second Amendment is the fact that, look, the Second Amendment, you, 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 if you're really sincere about trying to keep weapons out of the hands of, of criminal evildoers and those that are uh, delusional and maybe you know, mentally ill, but certainly criminal, the way you keep it out of their hands is you keep them uh, from you, you dry up the illicit firearms that are already on the streets and you prevent additional illicit firearms from coming into the streets. Now, the way you do that is pretty quite simple. Actually, all you have to do is secure the border. You, you can't keep an open border and then say, but we want to disarm you know, law abiding Americans. That's it. That doesn't make sense. How are you going to disarm law-abiding Americans while keeping the border open? All you're doing is creating a black market for even more weapons to come through and more gun running. Right now, we have gun running through the roof, just like we have sex slaves 
just like we have human trafficking, just like we have fentanyl and other drugs coming to our southern border. All of it is over through the roof right now. So why would you at all think that disarming innocent Americans will actually help or prevent mass shootings? No, the criminals constantly mass shoot. As a matter of fact, you look at D.C., you look at Chicago, those streets are very, very dangerous. And these are the the two cities that have the most restrictive gun laws in America. So what's what's that all about? The problem is you have an open border that continues to arm these felons, these criminals, these diabolical types who are constantly going to, you know, get those weapons off the street and then, you know, uh, try to, uh, uh, you know, hold the entire community hostage to their to their whims. You know, the the, the funny thing is, based on what you just said, um, um, <laughs> of course, criminals also get their guns through theft. Uh, they get other criminals, yeah. other criminals who haven't been convicted of a crime, but to to buy guns, straw purchases that that happens. Uh, yeah. But a few years ago, under the Biden administration, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that's under under the Obama administration, the 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 illegal guns were going the opposite way in some instances because they right. <laughs> suppo- they supposedly set up a sting uh, where they got yeah. uh, some gun shops. Um, I believe in Arizona, most of them, uh, to sell guns to people they knew to be black market traffickers and guns to see where they go in in Mexico. Uh, so they were selling guns that went to Mexico that were then used ultimately in a couple of instances to kill U.S. law enforcement officers. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, Terrible. I guess it never occurred to them that – if you're going to start the program, you better already have an advance a way of tracking and tracing these firearms because suddenly when they went to Mexico, they said, oh, we have no way of tracking it. Well, you didn't think of that before you let them go to Mexico? <laughs> right. I remember that. What that was, was going Eric on there? Holder yeah. And, yeah. yeah, Eric Holder and Obama, and, and that was a whole gun running scheme uh, yeah. to, uh, you know, but essentially over 1500, uh, yeah. high powered, you know, assault weapons, assault weapons that they, they don't want uh, ever were, citizens were to have. To the, they said, let's give yeah, them cartels. To the drug smugglers down yeah. there. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. Crazy. It was and, just terrible. Now, now we have the guns coming again, back up through us at Southern borders and directly into our streets and, uh, unabated. Because we have open borders, essentially, right at the moment. So, so uh, this is this is insanity. This is this is a tyrant. This is uh, a tyrannical plot to think that you can actually start to restrict, um, you know, freedoms that are guaranteed uh, not only under our, our constitution, but they're guaranteed by God. Um, it's it's a tyrannical thought. You see with what's happening with Justin Trudeau right now. I mean, just yesterday he put put out his edict that no more guns are coming. Uh, to Canada and, and nobody can purchase anymore, period. <laughs> so this is what happens when you start giving up an inch or a little bit of an inch, then it'll take, you know, start taking more and more. And this is what happened in Australia and New Zealand. And that's why in those areas, uh, you know, no one has guns anymore. Um, so so it, it's unfortunate. It's happened in many places yeah. around the world. They always disarm you first. And then the, the tyrants really take, uh, take possession and control over civil society. So, uh, I, I was going to ask you about the sort of source of the right, but you've already answered that, so I'm not going to go into that. You, you've said it's a natural right uh, given by God, not uh, uh, a privilege delegated 
allowed the people by the Constitution. The Constitution was that's right was intended to protect pre-existing natural rights. Uh, but that's right. So let's 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 shift focus just a little bit. And you've already talked about this a bit as well when you were talking about every Black Lives Matters. Um, so what you, you told us a little bit about every black life matters. What was the problem with black lives matter in, in the sense of you, you needed a different organization. It, it, that organization was not representing the interest that you were concerned about. Explain that. Yeah, so Black Lives Matter, uh, and actually when they first came out uh, with Trayvon Martin in 2014, was always strictly looking at police brutality. So uh, they always sort of uh, focused, their their prime focus was just that. They had no other concerns for the black community. They, didn't, so they, they didn't weren't concerned police. about, they weren't concerned, for instance, about weekly shootings in Chicago in the black community by no. black on black crime and things. No, not not in the least. They're not concerned about life, you know, black lives that are being strategically targeted by eugenicists uh, like Planned Parenthood and that. Not concerned about that. They're not concerned about black lives uh, on the streets and black on black crime. They're not concerned about those families that are suffering, you know, that are suffering because and, and grief stricken because their children have been summarily slaughtered by straight bullets because of the carnage in the streets and not concerned about those folks. So so we, we, we the, the issue for us is that, yes, um, we should have a response if indeed we see uh, police brutality. I mean, uh, of anybody. I mean, this is unacceptable. Police uh, peace are supposed to be peace officers here to protect and serve everyone and everyone fairly without partiality. And so uh, as a civil society, we should hold any and all accountable for any types of activities that go outside of those those bounds that we think, uh, you know, are tightly woven and should be upheld. But um, uh, that is not the totality of, of the black experience. Black life is much more broad than just looking for instances of police brutality. So our issue was, well, wait a minute, we should start something that's more holistic that takes a look at other issues outside of police protection. Certainly we'll, we'll speak up when we see wrongs with police departments. Don't get me wrong. But, but what about early childhood development? What about protecting our children from straight bullets? What about coming alongside those families when they are uh, grief-stricken from, from those types of instances? What about having trying to encourage fathers to remain connected to their children? We understand that, um, you know, with the hookup culture and all of that, times have changed, and there's a lot of, you know, people that have multiple kids for multiple husbands, I mean, for multiple uh, lovers, you know, male and female. So, uh, but the, the, the important issue is that fathers should remain connected to their children. One of, one of the primary, um, you know, common denominators with the, the, the shooters, recent, recent shooters, is that they were they had they grew up in fatherless homes they were not connected to their father in any in any way shape or form and so there was no real direction there was no you know real affirmations and so we try to stress the importance that father remain connected to their children we try to stress the importance of if you can please have a nuclear family 
go ahead and marry each other and, and, and start a family and, and start working that way. Um, and, and we're all about school choice. Uh, we're all about free markets and capitalism. Free markets and capitalism has done more to uh, to encourage and to pull up uh, you know, more people out of poverty than any other system, uh, bar none. I mean, you know, you can't even compare it to you know communism, Marxism, socialism. Uh, all of those reprobate systems are all all they leave in, the, in their wake is carnage, death, destruction, um, and, and 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 nothing good. That's the uh, sounds like you might think something. Sir. That's that's like the scary thing about this the 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 extent to which many youths are adopting socialism is they just don't know the history at all of socialism yeah. or they think you know th- maybe they think that it'll be different this time if we're in charge because we're not evil people as if it's evil people that cause the problems as opposed to the institution uh, itself um people given power become corrupted over time uh, absolutely the power corrupts absolutely. you know acton said uh the um the, in- the the other interesting thing about it is they don't understand even marx I, you know, I don't know how much you've studied Marx, but, you know, my graduate work, I did. Uh, I'm just writing a book for him. I just <laughs> wrote a book. Uh, I've connected Marx and, and Darwin. I've done a deep dive expose on them both because fundamentally, when you start looking at Marxism, uh, you know, Marx and Engels were protégés of Darwin. Uh, all of this stuff comes from a seed of Darwin. Yeah, um, they, had so, a, they but, had a very s- yeah. sort of weird a historical a scientific scientific view of man he was he sort of cog cog that was infinitely malleable but even yes. marx even marx recognized capitalism as the greatest engine of creation in history he said you have to go through the capitalist stage before you get to communism until you until you're producing the plenty that capitalism can uh, only capitalism can provide you can't start distributing it to those in need so you have to go yeah. through that stage. And, you know, uh, real Marxist philosophers, some of them, some of the old school ones, uh, uh, you know, long beards, woolly headed in their academic ivory tower say, well, see, that's the thing is we just haven't really tried uh, Marxism yet because we didn't go through the true capitalist phase everywhere. Once you do it, uh, if Marxism, this is what Marx believed, would naturally flow from it. But there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> so let me yeah, ask Marx, you this. Marxism uh, is just it's, it's a terrible all of the earth, yeah. and we need to completely do away with it. Uh, but, yeah. The funny thing is Sorry. many you were about to say. many environmental groups embrace Marxism, not recognizing that Marx himself would have had no uh, sympathy for their views whatsoever. For Marx, there were only two things. There were people and things, and everything on earth was a uh, – resource for people to use and transform for the betterment of, you know, uh, the proletariat. <laughs> he, 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 exactly. wouldn't, he wouldn't have said, he wouldn't have said, oh, we can't burn coal. Oh, we can't use trees. Right. Oh, we got to protect. No, Marx would have had nothing to do with that. That's right. That's uh, right. So yeah. let's, um, in, you know, in the few minutes we have left, I want to sit, talk to you a little bit about how your organizations advance sort of uh, the economic rights of uh, the African American community. How, how do you how do you advance markets and 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 their uh, economic progress so that they 
they do have better, so that their children will have better lives than they have, and their grandchildren will have better lives still. Yeah, so one of the one of the best ways that we can help uh, the black community sort of advance in thought and uh, actually advance in, 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 in principle is that we start to uh, do, away, do away with the old ideologies that keep them trapped uh, and constantly aggrieved because they're feeling like they're a perpetual victim or being oppressed by the system. So, so what we do is we go out and we do anti-CRT trainings where we reorient the thinking. We help people understand what critical race theory is, where it comes from, why it's diabolical and why it's evil, um, and how to, how to move beyond that. Once all communities, any community, can, can really get the right perspective on critical race theory, then you've you, you've unleashed real innovation uh, to be able to come forth. But as long as individuals are trapped in that thinking, they will settle for being right where they are. And while they're pointing at everybody else saying, you're victimizing me, making me stay here. You, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it's a real it's a... sort of circular conundrum that you can't break until it's a mindset. You help it. Yeah, you, it's, it's a, a mindset, mindset. You that help undermines your ability to stand on your own. Exactly, exactly. So what we do is we go around the country. We do what we call remnant rising workshops. We help expose the the, the, the realities behind critical race theory, and uh, so it's anti CRT type training. It's anti liberation theology or black liberation theology training for those who are in the faith and are trapped by sort of the same kind of thinking. And uh, and then we do a whole session as well on uh, social justice versus biblical justice. So it's, it's really for any and all, uh, you know, types of communities. But certainly if there's a, you know, a church that would um, that would have us in on the weekend, it, it's certainly for people of faith because fundamentally what breaks all of this is, 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 is having uh, faith uh, and, and God and, and his ability to provide, uh, you know, you, the individual, with the ability to go, move beyond and get in the direction that he he uh, made you to be in. So anyway, that that's what we do to, to help that. The other thing that we do is we encourage families um, to, to, to stay together and to build an economic base. Uh, we help, you know, especially people in the black community understand, look, if you want to move up, you want to move forward, the best way that you can do that is to go ahead and get married, um, remain faithful to each other, uh, get your job, first jobs, and start to build on that. And actually, the system that we have based on meritocracy will honor that, and you'll see that the family can move forward in that way. Um, it's a fallacy to think that blacks don't have the capacity or they can't move forward because the system is so racist. It keeps them down. There's too many of us blacks that are very successful, have been for decades. Um, and, and so that's a fallacy that we see every day. But believe it or not, there's a lot of people that are stuck in that, believing that they can't, they really can't do it on their own because I, the system is against them. I think um, liberal politicians foster that for their own political oh, reasons. Absolutely. But I think that they, yeah. they want to foster dependency while you know they they talk they talk the good talk of of uh, 
making lives better, but then the policies and the you know the regulations they promote undermine that. You know, you um, you mentioned because you were talking about critical race theory, but you also mentioned in passing um, the importance of uh, of school choice. Why don't you talk about that yeah. just a little bit? Because I think that's critical. yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, you know, our, our school systems are really, really broken. I mean, I hope that we've been able to see it over the past uh, year, let's say. Uh, I think Virginia, you know, with uh, Governor Yunkin and his uh, governorship and his running in that race, we were able to see in, in full color how corrupt, uh, how perverted, and how how necessary it is that parents really begin to take responsibility again for the curriculum that's being taught to our children. And uh, But the school, the public school system as it exists, in my opinion, is beyond repair. I mean, we need a complete, uh, you know, we need to completely redo it somehow. I think uh, the more competition we have, the more homeschooling networks we have, the more learning pods we have, the more charter schools in that, uh, that the public school system will ultimately get its act together again and stop teaching this, you know, brazen perversion to children and that. But the bottom line is, is the reason why we're pro-school choice is because so many people within our, our communities, ethnic communities, uh, really want their children to have better education, uh, education that more conforms to their, their child's learning style. Um, but the public school system is very, very rigid. Uh, it is not really teaching our children much because it's trying to accommodate, you know, newly undocumented children from all over the world and and quickly infuse them into these classrooms. So they sort of hold back a lot of what should be curriculum that the children should be learning. And instead, they've been switching to the sort of advanced sex education stuff that is really gross, vile, and just utterly disgusting. Yeah. They're, they're, fo- uh, they're focusing... And they're teaching our children. Yeah, they're yeah. focusing on topics that are... Yes. Uh, uh, explicitly uh, social and liberal as opposed to core educational requirements. I mean, they're not, uh, they're even trying to, you know, uh, socialize math in the, to the extent that they want math to be um, more touchy feely, more, exactly. uh, and, and use examples from, uh, uh, you know, like you say, CRT, gender, racial examples, gender examples. Uh, and, yep. but, but no, no hard and fast answers. They want to take away the idea that there's a clear right and wrong. That's exactly right. Especially, you know, but even, you know, we can talk about right and wrong. I, I talk about it a lot, uh, from a moral perspective. But in math, there are certain things. It's, there are clear yeah. right and wrong answers. Right. One and one. One, one is going to always be two. Yeah, that's right. It's Someone. never three. And I don't care. How you reason to get three, I don't say, oh, well, good little Johnny. That's an interesting way of looking at it. No, Johnny, you're wrong. It's two. It's always two. And I I don't want an engineer (laughs) that doesn't believe one and one makes two designing my bridges or airplanes that I fly in. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Or cars. Yeah, cars. When you you carry it out to its uh, extreme over the next generation, uh, you're going to see that the risks are insurmountable if these children are not taught, you know, physics, you know, advanced mathematics, algebra, and these yeah. types of things, because these are the, the the engineers, and they have to be able to be able to engineer and 
and support the existing infrastructure as it gets older and that. And so you don't want somebody that doesn't even understand basic math to be working as a mechanic and trying to put the right calibration on, uh, you know, an airplane, leave the, uh, you know, know, a wing or, you know, something like that. Leave, I mean, it's just, leave the culture, moral, social stuff to the parents and educators focus on teaching people how to speak well, teaching exactly people right. how to do math, how to read simple instructions um, yes. without throwing up their hands and saying, I can't do this. Uh, you know. And these are the types of things. Yeah. These are the types of things that are missing. And yeah. the, the, so what I encourage people is look public school system right now, if you, if you're okay with child abuse, okay, keep your child there. If you, but if you can, please move them out because they're teaching two fundamental things. They're teaching your children instead of how to think critically, they're teaching them how to critically think about other people and hate other people. Number one. And then number two, they're, they're encouraging them into grotesque perversion. So hate and perversion. I mean, that, that leads to when you have your later teens, these children are going to be no good uh, for anybody. They're not going to be good to employ because they're not getting the, the proper skills. They're going to be hateful of others, and they're going to be grotesquely perverted. I mean, that's just, that's just not a good combination. So if you can, it's not, give it's not your to, children it's, an alternate uh, platform. It's not to society's benefit, and it's not to the children's benefit either because they're ultimately that's harmed exactly. by this. So uh, – I know you're big. I know. I know. I know you're busy, and we've got to get going too. But big picture, if there's one overarching message you'd like our audience to take away, what would it be? The overarching message for for the moment that we're in now is we must remain vigilant. We must think critically about what's happening to our liberties and our freedoms and our future, um, and, and that means taking full responsibility for everything that's happening happening in our government and making sure that we vote to put people in office that are principled about the things that we are concerned about. So uh, we're at a, a really critical stage right now, the U.S. in general, where uh, tyranny can easily be ushered in and reign over us for a generation. And right now is the time for us not to take our eyes off the ball or our, our foot off the pedal. But now is the time for us to be remain ultra vigilant and put our foot on the pedal to make sure that we maintain the liberties, freedoms, and justices that we've been given up to this point. So I, I say a lot more about this. If, you, if your listeners want to go to our website, it's everyblm.com, everyblm.com. And we have all kinds of resources on there. Go to the resources panel, and we have. You can become a partner and 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 help and support us and partner with us. But our thing is uh, now is the time for people to be ultra vigilant and not to be asleep. That's uh, very wise counsel, Kevin. I want to tell you that we are truly pleased that you could be with us today. I want to thank you on behalf of myself and our listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Sterling. It's been an honor, and I'll come on anytime with you, brother. No, I appreciate that. We'll certainly have you back. Listeners, thanks for checking in on us today. Please check Heartland's website as we follow the work of Kevin McGarry and his team at the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California and Every Black Life Matters. 
And please continue to follow the Heartland Institute as we track the progress of energy and environmental laws and regulations that affect you. In addition, if you're not already receiving these podcasts daily on your favorite device, go to iTunes and subscribe. And when you have the time, please rate our podcast on iTunes so you can help us expand the reach of free market ideas. Thanks. Take care. Bye. <music>